Hello, fellow pals. Welcome to another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club, a monthly series where the Comics Pals read a different comic book and review it for your listening pleasure. Joining me on this edition are my heralds, Silver Sean Bartley. <laughs> That's cool. I, I would like to be a herald. Does it come with the power cosmic? Yes, absolutely. Uh, obviously, I don't have a lot of power cosmic, so you get as much as I can muster for you. <laughs> And uh, with the silver, bar- the silver Bartley <laughs> is Fire Lord because his hair is orange. Pete and Bessie, I'll take it. Yeah, sure. I don't have and, the power of cosmic, but I can burn shit. That sounds pretty good. He's got the power of cosmic. Shows how much I know. Yep, Marvel well, fanboy. Well, no, but you once you once you give it to me, I'll know, right? Then I'll be imbued with the power of cosmic. There you go. That's how you know. Uh, and I'm Galactus Phil Casey, <laughs> eater, of, eater of worlds and time on podcasts. You are certainly a devourer of my weekends. Very true. Today, I, I can't dispute that. It's undisputed. Today, we are talking about one of my all-time favorite books, Silver Surfer Requiem, which I misspell constantly. <laughs> If it wasn't for spell check, I wouldn't have been able to find the book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But first, be sure to check out our proper weekly podcast wherever your podcasts are sold. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Ring the bell. Check out our other monthly book clubs, including Howard the Duck, Hellboy, All-Star Superman, Mouse, uh, Batman Gothic, Snot Girl. There's a lot of them. Uh, And then be sure to check out our social media stuff. We aren't on Snapchat, but we're on most of them. (laughs) <laughs> I like that plug. Listing the, the platforms that we're not on. That's smart. <laughs> you can't find us on Snapchat. Don't even bother. <laughs> but everywhere else. Everywhere else. Are we on TikTok now? No. Uh, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. five years after it's relevant. That's when we'll get on it. Yeah, we're on the Vine. We do it for the Vine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's jump into it. Jack Kirby created the Silver Surfer in 1966, debuted in Fantastic Four number 48. Silver Surfer Requiem is by J. Michael Straczynski and Isad Rebic. The book, most broadly put, is about the death of Galactus's favorite former herald, the titular Silver Surfer. Guys, what were your expectations going in? Um, I would say I had probably above average expectations because I knew that you were a big fan of this book. I knew that uh, your roommate Joy was a big fan of the book and she's not, you know, a comics person. It just the quality of the writing and the themes really spoke to her, which got me interested. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, I know he's not a, um, he, he's uneven, but J. Michael Straczynski is capable of some really top, tier work when he's firing on all cylinders and this is a story where you could tell he had something to say he had creative freedom because it was a part of the marvel knights line which is one of my favorite marvel publishing initiatives of all time um so this is one of the few books from that imprint i'd never checked out but going into it knowing what the art looked like knowing the talent associated and and what the the book was trying to do and most importantly that it was only four issues i was thinking i was in for a good time but when i read it i was really blown away by it i have to say it exceeded my expectations even though i was expecting to enjoy it i thought it was a, like a uh it's a book that i'm surprised isn't talked about more i really i really appreciate whenever i host this and i'm like what were your expectations Pete? You're like i don't know but i love the book I mean, if I liked it, <laughs> well, I you assume, pick books I like. 
Yeah, I had to. I just assume you like everything that I give you. I'm a good parent. Uh, before a good herald. There you go, Sean. Before you answer, Pete, do you begrudge uh, J. Michael Straczynski for uh, one day later or whatever? One more day. That's not. No, one more day was. Do, or do you mean brand new day? Oh, brand new day. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we... I don't blame him. Casado was the one, one who started. More day. One more day is the first one. That's Casado, isn't it? No, it's J. Michael Straczynski wrote it, yeah. and Casado drew it, and then Casado. Okay. Thank you. Um, I mean, you know, like, I know that from going to enough Cup of Joes in my early Comic-Con experience, I know that was, like, Joe's, you know, he got divorced and pushed that through, so I don't know. I associate with that that with him, but maybe okay. I'm just giving Straczynski a pass. Gotcha. Sean, what are your expectations? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to answer both of those questions. Uh, I'll answer the expectations question first. I had not read this however i've always heard about it and i feel like i might own issue one and maybe i read it when i was 17 oh interesting but for whatever reason i didn't follow i know that at that time i was very embroiled in civil war and all that so this is something that for me probably just kind of went under the radar and i think that maybe has something to do with where it stands in terms of how people talk about it um, that's just my assumption. But it didn't I sell well. What's that, Phil? It didn't sell well. Um, it, it never cracked the top 40. It sold under 60,000 uh, per issue or whatever. This, this book wasn't a seller. Yeah, and it's easy to see why, especially with the climate at that time and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me. This book was exactly what I expected, and that's not in a negative way because I had extreme expectations for this book. Sure. Oh, wow. I, I was so happy and excited that we were reading this because I've wanted to read it for many years. However, I think just like in 2007, it was one of those books where if I heard about it, I was like, ah, I got to read that. And then two seconds later, I was thinking about something else. Sure. So, so now that I've read it, um, I'm glad that I did. And I can't wait to speak on it because it, it it's as mind-blowing as people tell you it is. Now, regarding JMS and One More Day, JMS's run on Spider-Man is very odd. And I like it, but a lot of people hate it. And so it's hard for me not to critique him on some level for One More Day because he's also the same person who made it canon that Gwen Stacy slept with Norman Osborn and oh, yeah. children. He sure fucking did, Sean. Right. And, and, and by the way, I say that as a person who actually liked that storyline. But it's I can't I can't give him credit for that, but then not give him credit for one more day because he wrote the damn thing. So sure. um, that's yeah. my stance on that. I, I respect that take. I read this book years ago. Uh, during a story time thread on some forum uh, and I couldn't put it down and I bought the hardcover which is you know it's four issues and I think I paid like 60 bucks for it because it's out of print and what there wasn't a ton of them published so the the value you know really skyrocketed which is unfortunate but I'm glad to own it because I really love this book it's one of my all-time favorite Marvel books um and I think J. Michael Straczynski is pretty uneven. 
um, for as good as this book is, I think of something like Superman Grounded, which was not a great Yikes. book. No. It has moments, but it's really not a great book. Uh, and most people really like him from Babylon 5, but that's kind of a generation before us. Yeah. Because um, didn't, he write, didn't he write, like, like most of those episodes? I think he wrote, like, 80 of the 100 of them or something like that. He wrote a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, that's insane. My other question before we jump into it is what what is what what was your relationship with the Silver Surfer before this? Sean, I know you've read a lot of Fantastic Four, so like, kind of just tell me what your experience with that character is because this whole book is about him. So i I actually have a deep fascination with Silver Surfer and Galactus, um, and it's weird because I haven't read as much of them in comics as you would think given that statement but something about galactus specifically and then silver surfer as he ties into that that relationship dynamic i i'm i'm floored by how fascinating that is and that there's not even more content about them or about even them uh, as separate entities i didn't read dan slot's i think it's dan slot his most recent uh, silver surfer yeah, because it seemed like it was it was about something that I don't care about, but this taking Silver Surfer and examining it, examining what he means to the world, I think it's so fascinating. And Galactus again, such an incredibly fascinating character. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with them. So this inspired me to want to go read a lot more stuff that I haven't checked out that includes them. Because it reignited something in me that I've had for a really long time. I would say my my association with the character kind of begins and ends with reading, um, you know, classic runs of the Fantastic Four, like as a historical exercise. As I got more interested in comics in like a broad way, so like I've read his introduction. You know, I'm familiar with him as a member of the Defenders here and there, you know, like things like that, but I've never really had much exposure to the character. Um, but I, I would say that I agree with Sean. I always thought he was cool. You know, like, I, I think there's like a real like, 70s like, space mystique to him that I, I feel like he like, embodies that mo- that Marvel cosmic, like, style in such a good way, because he's, he's just, uh, He's, like, a very imposing figure, you know? Like, he is a cosmic figure in the way that Galactus and the Watcher and all these other figures that we get familiar with are. But he's so much more grounded because he, at at his core, is still a person, you know? Regardless of how obstructed that is, you know? Um, But I always kind of liked... He kind of always felt to me like, like... Like, what if Dr. Manhattan was, like, not cold, you know, like, he is a god-like figure. He is removed from ants, you know, as it were, to him. But he, like, has this very, like, you know, like, almost, like, kind of, like, Buddhist, like, philosophy of that, like, life is sacred, you know? And that even evil people, like, even, you know, like, like all life is sacred and all life has value and potential and, and those sorts of things. And I think for a character that's, you know, not only supposed to be a cosmic entity and like a cosmic hero, but also as a character whose genesis is as a herald of destruction, that's just good writing. It really is. I, I read 
Stan Lee's solo run in the Silver Surfer from I think 1965 or six, um, which is I think Stan Lee's best book that he ever worked on. Um, the whole huh. thing is about him exploring other worlds and trying to. He's interesting because Superman is a character that's always able to emphasize with the human struggle and like this, the struggle of life, like on a personal level. But with Silver Surfer, it always feels like he sympathizes with it, but he can't understand it as well. He because, can't relate to it anymore. He remembers what it was like to feel that way more than he feels that way. Yeah, and I, the Buddhist thing I think is a pretty good analogy. I think at the end of issue three, where there's a quote where he says. Uh, nor would uh, nor would we forget the words he spoke to us before he left. If sacred places are spared the ravages of war, then make all places sacred. And if, if the holy people are, are to be kept harmless from war, then make all people holy. That 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 page or two or whatever, that gave me goosebumps when I read it. I was like, that's a great fucking line, man. Yeah, and I think that kind of is emblematic of what the character is about. And I guess we should jump into it. So obviously, spoilers here from here on out. But uh, we'd really like it if you read along with us and uh, came back and gave this a listen if you uh, are interested because it's very good. Twenty four issues. Yeah, and if you're if you already read it, welcome aboard. So the first half of this is the Silver Surfer's interactions with the Marvel heroes and how he kind of uh, interacts with them, and the way it's like J- him saying goodbye to Earth. Yeah, well, the way well the way JMS introduces it is really really thoughtful, um, which is how I feel about the whole thing. But he comes to talk to Reed, who witnessed the birth of uh, the Silver Surfer, as he put at the end of issue one, and he just needs confirmation that he's dying. Uh, and effectively, the power cosmic uh, is uh, his his silver skin or whatever is peeling back, and all that cosmic radiation is basically killing him. Uh, without saying it, it kind of sounds like he's got cancer or something. Um, and there's nothing Reed can do. Uh, well, what I want to know is what you guys, how do you guys enjoy Norn's interactions with all the other Marvel characters on earth? Um, they worked really well for me because obviously knowing his history with the fantastic four, I think seeing Reed and Sue struggle with the reality that, that their friend is going to die I thought that was played really well, and and I the art in the in that first issue I think was particularly standout because there's a lot of acting, you know, there's a lot of like shots of people not saying anything but but being in pain or being hurt, you know, and and you feel the feelings that they're going through, and I think for Spider Man, um, obviously I'm a little biased because I love Peter, but I feel like he's such a good foil for Silver Surfer in this story because. You know, Silver Surfer is like you, you can make the comparison to Superman where like he is this, you know, this god who relates to human beings, who loves the earth, who loves life, um, but is removed from it in a way. And I don't think that there's a Marvel hero that's better representative of the common man than Peter Parker. So them having that conversation and him, this god going to him and being like, what do you think I should do? You know, is like. I think that's another example where JMS does a really good job of juxtaposing the Silver Surfer against somebody that's different than him, but that says something about him by making that comparison. 
Yeah, I was really, really pleased to see the Fantastic Four at the start of this. I wasn't exactly sure uh, the nature of how this story would unfold. So seeing them there was immediately awesome because I love them so much. Um, And then, of course, their reaction to this news, or we don't know the news immediately, but you can presume. um, Their reaction adds weight to it. Because if if you're not someone who's like, overly familiar with the Silver Surfer's history and what he has done for um, the Marvel Universe, you might think, all right, well, people die. It's not that crazy. I don't understand why Reed and Sue would be crying like this and having this yeah. you know, huge emotional reaction. But um, I think JMS does such a good job of, of honing in on the fact that if it wasn't specifically for the Silver Surfer, the Marvel Universe would have ended a long time ago because Galactus would have killed them all. That's that's what he was going to do. Um, yep. And that's, that's not something that you can understate because even though all of these heroes have saved Marvel, like, uh, not Marvel, but like Earth, you know, and other planets and stuff like that, they've all done it. With the exception of, like, Thor, for the most part, they're all human or they're all from Earth. And... Thor's an Avenger, stuff like that. He cares. He He's mingled among humans. He's like a human. Silver Surfer's not like a human. I think comparing no. him to Dr. Manhattan is very apt because yeah. he, he's removed from humanity and he, well, he didn't start human either. So he right. has no reason to care about them. So for him to save them in spite of that and risk his own life to stop Galactus is beautiful. And I think that the Fantastic Four's reaction really, really sells that. And it made me understand exactly why they were so sad. I also think that JMS does a good job of not underselling uh, Reed and Sue's role in his turn. You know, like he like the Silver Surfer is the one who did that, right? Like he he made that choice. He saved Earth. You're totally right. He's like, you know, arguably like the first like he he's one of the first citizens of Earth that we meet in Marvel Comics. That's not an Earthling. Um, mm hmm. But he only that only happens because Reed sees Norrin. You yeah. know, he sees what's left of of who he really was. And I think it, it not only speaks volumes about what the surfer means to 616's Earth or this version of that Earth, right? Um, but it speaks to why him and Reed have that friendship, you know, because Reed is obviously thankful for him not, you know, saving life and giving him a chance to have, have a family and, you know, be a scientist and live. Um, but the, he also, the surfer owes him a great debt because he gave him back his humanity, his self that, you know, he had lost and he had committed all these atrocities that went so far in the face of what his initial sacrifice was meant to do, you it, know? It feels more than that, though, for me, I guess. Because the analogy I thought of is kind of like the movie The Green Mile with Tom Hanks and uh, and uh, Michael Clark Duggan or whatever his name is. Um, Duncan. Yeah. yeah. Um, where the death of the Silver Surfer, is, it's like you're witnessing the death of something almost like sacred, something you don't see every day. Um, yeah. He, he, he represents... Like kind of what makes the six one six so distinguished in in uncanny. Uh, he he is this kind of he's by definition super foreign, but 
there's something like beautiful about what he is because Sean you I, I, and you both alluded to his his role in saving the Earth from Galactus numerous times. You know he's he saved countless civilizations in space, but like that's in this it's like almost inferred because we don't actually interact with the accomplishments of the Silver Surfer on its face because this is the final story of the Silver Surfer. So if you're a first time person reading it, it what you're seeing is like a, a really unique butterfly dying kind of it's like the beauty of life phil can you can you just like cover your ears so i can give a, a, a mild spoiler that relates to game of thrones in case you're ever going to watch it again <laughs> to say it don't don't do that there may be <laughs> listeners who haven't who fair enough fair it. enough fair yeah. enough all right moving to the peter parker stuff i really 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 like that because i think i think peter parker at the end of the day really represents the everyman of the marvel universe and when he's trying to figure out what he could contribute to Earth with his dying breath, this person is being confronted with his immortality. I like that Peter wants Mary Jane to experience what the power of Cosmic is like. That was a really cool moment. Um, I really enjoyed it. And it I don't remember if this was explicitly said, but because of the way they were speaking about Silver Surfer um, and, you know... Especially with what happens with Doctor Strange. We'll get to that in a moment. I was thinking like, man, when Galactus first came to Earth and Silver Surfer first aided the humans in saving Earth, Peter Parker was like 16 years old. Yeah. And he didn't know Mary Jane. So all of his life that he's had, the the beauty of, of, of his life that has come since then... Because the you know the most tragic thing he'd experienced up until that point was the loss of Uncle Ben, and then it was the loss of Gwen Stacy. But then post that, it's so much beauty. Never would he have had those moments. He wouldn't be there with Mary Jane if it wasn't for the Silver Surfer. Mm-hmm. And that that's it's like we think about it. Yeah, these people save people, but this is the first time, probably, if you really think about it, that's probably the first time Earth was on the line. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the first time yeah. that Earth was on the line in Marvel Comics. And so Silver Surfer is the first hero of Earth. Yeah. That's, and, that's and, amazing. Yeah, and, and I think it's played it's it's played to be really powerful, too, because I think it's, like, it's kind of sweet, too, that, like, when he's talking to Peter about it and he's running through all these different things that he could think of, like whenever he tries to look at a big problem, it seems like this big insurmountable thing from his point of view, because he's just one guy. He's just trying to make his neighborhood a little bit safer. He's such a different thing than the silver surfer. But at the end of the day, like the things that like that bind them are the things that make them similar. And it's like the silver surfer was a man. He loved a woman, you know, like he, you know, was a regular guy. And, you know, like, and I think the fact that he still has that reverence, for life, despite the fact that he's so far removed from the average experience of a mortal being is like, it is really beautiful, you know? And the fact that like his, the big thing that he's struggling with is like, how can I say thank you to to the world that was my home? You let's, know? let's talk about the existential humanity aspect that Spider-Man and Silver Surfer discuss because Silver Surfer, Spider-Man talks about how, you know, 
we put out fires and we stop bad guys, but we can't change the heart of men because we can't agree on what exactly is evil. And so we're surfers struggling with this notion because like, how do you make earth better long-term? How do you like, how do you improve everything? Um, this is like a kind of conversation that doesn't really come up in comic books a ton where it actually confronts why superheroes do what they do. Cause at the end of the day, especially with someone like Batman, like the, the war and crime never ends. Right. And, and I think like that it's another reason that Spider-Man's a good counterpoint here because I think like you look at, I, I I've made this comparison on the show before, but like, I think Spider-Man and Batman are essentially like they're very similar characters in terms of their genesis point. It's like the realities of their pre-trauma life that are different and then how they respond to trauma that's different, right? And like Batman builds up walls and tries to, you know, like create contingency plans so that hurt doesn't happen again, you know? Whereas like Spider-Man is a character who tries and fails again and again and that's the nature of of what makes him human, right? Is that like despite all the pain and the tragedy – that there is beauty, like Sean said, and that the goal is to try to make the better place, the world a better place one day at a time, you know, and like that's his scope, you know, but somebody like the Silver Surfer is capable of doing so much more than that. And the, the fact that he has shreds of his humanity left, imagine how that must weigh on you. You have all this power and you feel like you're squandering it. I think, though, that that is that that power that Silver Surfer has underscores the significant problem that we have on Earth. That someone with that much power can't actually fundamentally make our lives better. Mm -hmm. And that's sad. Um, and this actually is the only time that I read the book where like, it's not that I didn't like it, it's just that I was like, ah, I don't know about this. Where Silver Surfer gives everyone a bit mm -hmm. of the power cosmic for five minutes, it's a nice gesture and i get i get it but it seems almost like cruel in a way because you're giving people access like to do it for mary jane i understand that because she's one person you know she means so much to peter all that jazz but to give everyone on earth that for five minutes i don't feel like that would accomplish what surfer was thinking it would accomplish and it makes it seem like an empty gesture um, I would have preferred that you kind of almost let it be accepted that there is no solution and leave it at that. It it was reminiscent to me of the scene in All-Star Superman where Lex Luthor comes up with a serum to be Superman effectively. But as it's wearing out, he sees the world for how Superman sees it. He sees all the beauty of nature and of life and everything at a micro scopic level and it's it, that was the the point of the gesture i think is if only humans can see beyond the limitations of you know their day-to-day -day life and see there's a world beyond here and how everything is interconnected and stuff maybe then the innate cruelty of humans will uh won't happen that, that, I, I i understood that i i actually really like that scene a lot yeah, I, I liked it too because I, I think I was feeling the same way that you did about it, Sean, but there was a line that kind of reconciled it for me where he says like, you know, it did like it didn't work for everybody, but it was enough. You know, how can you measure like the actual impact of something like that? And I think the reality is that it probably doesn't change that many people's day to day. But like if it changes even one, like that's positive, you know, well, that was that line was at the end 
when uh, yeah. when he gives the power to the to the people of his home planet. That wasn't in the really? scene. Yeah, when he when oh. he puts like the thing in their palm or whatever, where they I thought that the, I thought that happened twice. Basically, <laughs> I might be misremembering. Uh, I remember it that way. You can you can look it up if you want to. But um, in any event, I just I just didn't. It, it wasn't a bad scene, and I can understand why people would like it. But um, because I don't feel like it would have a lasting impact on humanity, um, it's not his job to solve the problems. Mm-hmm. But the it, it left me emptier. It left me empty. Okay. Uh, yeah, I I, I can see that. It left you feeling like the power cosmic had left your body. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Well, the next part then is when he interacts with Doctor Strange, and he's confronted with the fact that all of Earth's greatest minds from Professor Hold Xavier. On. Yo, sorry, real quick. I just found the part we were talking about, and it won't come up again. Um, there Your is. There are two moments like that, it looks like, because there's the moment where it's like Spider-Man like helps him up on his board, and the, the narration is, five minutes, it was all he could afford be- because more would have killed him, just five minutes, but whole worlds have turned on even briefer moments. Who knew what fruit his actions might bear in the future? Uh, the only thing he ever wanted was to bring peace to the world. So I think I'm conflating the dialogue from that other image, but like I feel like that sentiment was expressed there as well, of that like... It doesn't need to change the world, you know. It was it was something. I guess, but again, for me, the fact that it didn't yeah. change the world is just no. leaves me hollow. But uh, yeah, you were saying, Phil. So, the next part is when he meets with Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange uh, relays to him that all of Earth's greatest minds, from Professor Xavier to Magneto to Doctor Doom to Loki and whomever aren't able to save him either. They're able to pull all the science and magic together, and at the end of the day, Silver Surfer is some is, is someone that even all the greatest powers on Earth in, in, in this super heroic world aren't able to remedy. Uh, and so Doctor Strange gives him the gift that only he can give to represent the planet Earth, which is the history of Earth, split into two parts. Split between the time before the Silver Surfer came and the knowledge of after he came. Um, which is like the, the, the symbolism of that gift because it, it reflects the, what, what he, the actual concrete, tangible change that he had actually brought as when you put it, Sean, like the first superhero on Earth. What do you think of this portion of the book? Yeah. Um, that, this part, even though it was very small, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole thing because I just loved that's such a that's an overwhelming gift. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um and and it's a and it's it's a it's a turn for a turn, right? Like what Silver Surfer gave Earth wasn't a gift in the sense that he didn't see it that way, but it was a gift, right? I referenced earlier that Peter Parker got to have a beautiful life that does also have tragedy in it, but a lot of beauty because he's still alive. And the only reason he's still alive is because of what Silver Surfer did. And so for someone like Dr. Strange to have that same feeling of gratitude, someone who, you know, you think of as, as not godlike, but 
you know, he's got a ton of power in him as well, right? He has. He probably access. understands the surfer better than almost any other human. Right, absolutely. So for him to have that same type of feeling towards him means a lot. And it, and it, again, it really sells and underscores the importance of what he did. And to split it like that is also so amazing because Silver Surfer really does care about humanity. It would be important to him... I think, I would think, and it's expressed in the book, to be able to see this. I loved it. Yeah, I, I loved it too. Um, and, and the art there, where he accepts it, where it, 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 like the, the, the light of it radiates off his, his sheen, uh, it just kind of reflects this magnificence and beauty. It's just, that part, it might be my favorite part of the book. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's another one where I think the roots that he set on Earth make that moment work too. Because like Doctor Strange is a character he has a relationship with, and you know there is like a tightness there, and like his entire purpose is to come there and say that like you know the he he says that thing where it's like you know they say that like the measure of a of a man is you know or is either his enemies or his friends, you know, and and like he like you said, Phil, shows that there's all these people on Earth who we think of as being the most important, most powerful, most intelligent, and they're all dedicating this effort to try and save him because of the debt that they feel like they owe. And it's cohesive, too, because the whole part where, you know, him and Spider-Man are talking about the what, like the ill-defined aspect of what evil is, here in the next issue... Some of the quote unquote most evil people on Earth, like Loki or Doctor Doom or Magneto or whatever, they're also trying to help the Silver Surfer because of what he is. Yeah. So just wanted to highlight that part. Uh, next, Silver Surfer is back in space as he leaves Earth behind forever. As Spider Man says he, you know, never saw him again and never knew what became of him. But I mean, obviously, you can imagine what became of him. Um, that was one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the book. Um, when he said something about how he was like, like I always thought of him as as like a that guy, not a person, you know. And it was like a shame that that I that we didn't know him better. Yeah, I thought I, that was like a really it was a very like melancholic kind of note to put it out on that like we do owe the surfer so much, but how many people know that? How many people think of him that way? You know, <laughs> that's this whole book is uh, having a melan melancholy kind of undertone. Uh, the next thing he does is. The most silver surfer thing of all, which is quell a civil war between a warring species. Uh, Sean, walk me through this part of the book. This, uh, this part of the book was, I mean, it, it was great, right? Like seeing these two warring factions who are essentially at war with each other just because their ideologies are different and... They're different, but they're the same in a lot of ways. Like they're they're warring because they don't worship the same god, or they don't you know have the same structure of, of prayer or whatever. And they've been working towards this great war, expending all their resources, ignoring the realities of their world outside of this war. Meanwhile, the people who are are the ones instigating this whole thing are are kind of just chilling together. Yep. Um, and it's it's obviously an allegory for our actual world. And I could understand why JMS wouldn't want to put, wouldn't want to use human faces for a scene like this or a sequence like this. Um, but it's so frustrating because this is what it's like, and we don't get a Silver Surfer. 
you know yeah. um we don't get someone to come from somewhere else and go hey you guys don't realize how insanely stupid this all is and then if they still don't get it you just kill them or destabilize them and let the people decide for themselves yeah, um, my takeaway from that was eat the rich <laughs> <laughs> yeah hell yeah um, it, no it was a powerful lesson and a powerful message and I love how it's not Silver Surfer gives them the opportunity, but it's not him <laughs> ultimately who decides that they will live peacefully. It's they themselves who decide that they will live peacefully, and yeah. um, that's beautiful. He's a breaker of chains. Like he, yeah. he frees them from the bondage of war and allows them to make decisions for themselves when you don't have, you know, powerful people whose interests who don't give a shit about your interests pulling the strings you know yeah it was like i love the positioning of him as like a revolutionary figure and like the fact that that's like a big part of his bag is he just goes to planets where there's war and is like i'm gonna do my best to clean this up you know and give you a shot at peace but he's not he doesn't enforce peace you know like he's a bringer of of an opportunity for peace there's there's one part i always and that's i i always thought would um resonate with sean which is while he's breaking up the civil war conflict, uh, the narration coming from presumably you know those witnessing it. Uh, he said he came to each of our shrines and holy temples whose safety and uh, inviolability will we believed was granted and protected by no less than the Maker of all things, and he proved otherwise. Proved that there was no greater hand at work than our own. Proved that neither side was more right or holy than the other. Showed us the conceit of our own beliefs, and it's- I like. Yeah, I like yeah. that because it's that moral ambigu- ambiguity of a conflict. Uh, and I thought that would resonate with you because you like to try to be pragmatic about any kind of conflict or dispute. I, I, did, I did really, really love that particular sequence you just laid out and that entire narration there towards the end. Um, I think that's the best part of the book. It, it's so powerful and so strong. And it's just like, man, I wish that, I mean, I was going to say I wish more people would read this and and get that. But the reality is that even if they did read it, it wouldn't hit the same way. Because if you're involved with this kind of bullshit, you're you're involved with it. Dude, it's given pieces, it's pieces of the power cosmic. You know, like, you can spoon feed it to people, but, you know, it's like, you have to believe it yourself. You have to be moved by his his plight and by his like his efforts. Nice, Pete. And and what really um, what really hammered it home for me and like just made me real emotional was when I saw the statue that they built yeah. in his honor. That was <sighs> yeah. That was heavy. It was that, really striking. Yep. That he he'll never see or never needs to see. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that was the thing that again made me like feel so moved by it because i think them building a statue in his honor is kind of like okay like that's par for the course but like the what that means with the knowledge that he's gonna die and that he'll never see it and he'll never see whether his efforts meant anything yeah um that that's a kind of a good transition to the next part which is the final confrontation of the mortality of life um that we all have to we'll have to confront one day which is we don't know if any of our achievements, accomplishments, exploits will ever mean anything, but 
at the end of the day, what Norrin needs to do is go home, which, you know, that, that kind of reflects, I think, a really human quality, which is, I, th- I think, at the end of the day, when we're at our, like, knees, like, we all need to go home. And he's confronted by his wife. Not really confronted, but he's greeted by his wife. She's, he's comforted by his wife. And uh, the people on his planet are so gracious for what he did for them, sacrificing his own life, effectively, to become the Silver Surfer and prevent his planet from being eaten. And they have the mark of Norn. Uh, to commemorate him by, which you know, it, it's it, it's kind of what immortalizes him for his entire people. Because at the end of the day, there's really not going to be another Silver Surfer even on his own planet, Zen La. Um, how did this part kind of just make you feel? Because this whole book kind of has it has an existential. It hit me really at the core. How did this part kind of hit you? It worked for me because it earned it. I think if it was just waxing philosophic about the nature of good and evil and heroes and, you know, all and generations and legacy, all those things are not inherently interesting. But the fact that they've grounded them in what we know about the surfer, what he means to characters that we know and love, what he represents outside of that vacuum, um, that's why it works. Because you are sad to see him go because it is the death of something beautiful. It's the death of... A god, you know, of 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 and a peaceful one at that. I really, really enjoyed seeing Silver Surfer um, go back to his home because I can't recall ever seeing him on Zenla. Like I might, I might have, mm, but me um, I can't recall. And so to see him return there, it's so it's it's like. That carries with it so many different things. Like, where would you want to die, right? Yeah. You would want to die in your home, surrounded by your friends and your family and loved ones. And you would want to see your grandchildren. You would want to see the fruits, not the fruits of your labor, but the, the fruits of your life. Yeah. And even though he may not have grandchildren, everyone that's there is alive because of what he did. And he sacrificed, you know? It's hard to understand because of how powerful he is. Like, oh, well, he be- okay, so he sacrificed a little bit and became a god. What's the big deal? No, he sacrificed his personhood in a lot of ways with yep. no guarantee that he would ever get it back. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think him going home to his wife, it shows what he gave up. Yeah. Right? That when he thinks about what he wants, the last thing he wants to do is be with her. And I'm sure that's all he wanted ever. But... You know, he had to trade his his life for a higher cause. Right. You know? And you think about, like, all the great heroes of, of, of comic books, they don't have to make that choice, generally. Generally, no. they get the girl or the guy, and they get the power and everything else. And there's sacrifice along the way, and we see those stories play out. But Silver Surfer made the ultimate sacrifice before he even had powers. So he was already a hero, and he had to live like that forever essentially until he died silver surfer is a man who had to find planets for a cosmic force to devour just jeopardize millions of lives so that he can keep his home planet alive and and be in this quandary of doing something that a lot of people are confronted with which is some kind of occupation that may buck against your morale your, your, your morals and values because of a higher reason like maybe 
you know, providing for your family or whatever. It doesn't matter. And on Earth, he's confronted with seeing like these really happy couples like Peter and Mary Jane or Reed and Sue. And this is something he can never have. Yeah. And there's a tragedy to that. Yeah, but I mean, and again, there's also beauty to it because his response to that, much like I said with Spider-Man, like he's not a figure who wallows in the decision. He says how many times throughout the book, he regrets nothing. He I made know. the right choice, yeah. you know, and like he he suffered for it. But in the same way that Peter did, he also found a lot of joy and a lot of beauty in the world and or not the, the universe, you know, and he was able to be a, a herald of peace instead of of destruction and... You know, like that, that gave him purpose. That helped him find meaning. And even when he couldn't always see it. And then he's finally confronted by Galactus, who also isn't able to save him. But he says to him that he was the most noble of his heralds. Oh, he, no, he said he was the most noble creature yeah. that he had ever known. Yeah. More than that. You know, and I, I, that really moved me, you know, like seeing Galactus, this creature, this cosmic entity that we never see express real emotion like mourning is like damn (laughs) you want to talk about like the footprint of the silver surfer like that's incredible this was so so powerful and touching when i saw galactus's ship i was like ah come on man what is this and then you know it ends up being this this amazing moment um and Galactus, it seems as though Galactus is willing to try to save Silver Surfer, and he says, no. He says, you know, I don't want to be saved. And yeah. that, again, is 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 emblematic of a person who recognizes in a lot of ways his job is done, you know, and his time has come, and, and that's what it is. He just wants the reassurance that his people will be protected. And who better to protect them than Galactus? Uh, you can't ask for much more than that. And, um, Galactus as a character is not really known for emotion. He's not no, no. really known for, um, uh, you know, being involved in, in in things like this. And so for him to show his appreciation, I, I don't know if it's love, but his appreciation um, and, respect. and awe and respect. Yeah, respect. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's impressive. That's really, really impressive. And I, I, again, love Galactus, one of my favorite uh, characters, one of my favorite villains. And so to see him in this kind of a role, and the, the page, oh my god, you know, the art on the, the, the big splash page where he's just standing, just there, standing there at the funeral, I guess. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Oh my god. Well, and that was the thing too, right? Like you said, like, it's not sure if it's... I wasn't sure if what he was exhibiting was grief or respect or whatever, but like you see him in that moment, and he looks somber. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and it is in the in the narration uh, that that he was that that Silver Surfer I think said, or no, the narrator is, is the Watcher. Uh, he says that he had seen a lot of things on Galactus's face, but never grief, and this yeah. was this was that. And he says that he stood there for three days, like as is customary for mourning and all that stuff, and it's like. Like, Galactus is always presented as a cosmic being that's bigger than, and for him to observe the cultural, you know, practice of, of yeah. Norin is like, yeah, like, that says a lot about the respect that he has for him, you know, as, uh, you know, I, like he said, as the most honorable being that he ever knew. Yeah. 
and, and then, he knows them all. <laughs> and, and, and then he bequeaths his wife's request, and Norm becomes the brightest star on Zenla's sky. And I, I loved the shot where they they showed back on Earth, and like Peter was looking up at the sky and saw it, and it was like the other planet, and it was just like it's the brightest star in their sky, but it's a beacon for the whole universe. Fantastic stuff. It's, it's just beautiful. I, I I have to man this book. It's so well executed. It really is. You know, it's it's a it's a master class. Yeah. So that takes me to the we, we we've talked about the plot and all the events and all the characters and character interactions. My 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 real question is, what did this book make you feel? It, it honestly it echoed a lot of my opinions about how I feel about life and how I feel about the world that we live in. That it's you know, um, in two separate conversations, Silver Surfer describes us as. A race of madmen, while then also like singing the praises of our world and its beauty and the way that we fight and struggle and you know and and um, that there is so much diversity in this world. You know, he flies over a mountaintop, over a jungle, over a city, like all these things, and you know, I that's those are feelings that I struggle with a lot. You know, with being disappointed in the world. For the way that it is and and people for the way that they are um but then i'll have a moment where you know like you you have those little and it's it sounds cheesy but those little life-affirming moments of you know like a beautiful sunrise or you know like a, a great day with with a good friend or you know like seeing a child born like those sorts of things like they give life meaning and it puts things in perspective that despite all the ugliness and the evil that there is potential for good there's potential for beauty and you know, um, and just like, you know, to, to try and be a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's that's really well said. Um, this book made me feel so many things, man. Like, as um, just examining the book, it made me think about the Silver Surfer in a very different way than I ever did before. Yeah. Um, and now he's... Now he's like one of my favorites. Now he's like in the upper echelon because of this story. And um, it made me rethink how I feel about JMS in some ways. Um, and then, you know, personally, it's it's it sucks that we need these kind of books to remind us of what, you know, it can mean to be a hero. But like if you look beyond... Silver Surfer's power and his, you know, all that other good stuff that we can't do that doesn't exist in real life. And you just look at a man who's willing to sacrifice everything that he is and has just so that his people will be all right. It, it just makes me sad that there aren't more people like that in our world, but it also makes me happy that there are people like that in our world. You know, and I think about my aunt who, uh, you know, has a particular kind of job that would see her in in the line of fire in situations that are bad. And that's a, you know, that's a sacrifice. And there are a lot of people who make that kind of sacrifice every day. And there are, there are people historically that I think of, you know, who have thrown, not thrown their lives away, but who have given their lives up for a greater cause. And I only wish that I could be that person. 
and Silver Surfer re- represents that, but it's also a reminder that even though I just said I wish I could be that person, it's a reminder that I can be that person. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that's the inherent value of superhero stories, right? I think that's why um, we talked about this on our episode pretty recently about why superheroes mean something to us, you know? And, um, you know, Phil's regularly said that, you know, uh, Superman is the the beacon on the hill that you aspire to, right? And, and like, Spider-Man is an example of a normal person who can be representative of the best of us, you know? And I think, like, that's why these characters resonate. And even a character like the Silver Surfer can resonate in that way because... You know, the story is ultimately about the beauty of life and and the nature of like, you know, um, of just seeing the world for what it is and not just what it is, but what it could also could be. Yeah, um, this whole story for me is it's breathtaking. It, it makes you confront your own your own life and your own life decisions. Sean, you've talked about all the sacrifices and. And, and what it means and it's, it's as it reflects in the book the mark of a man and the silver surfer is it's truly like watching an angel die yes and yeah if, if galactus is god you know the silver surfer is one of his angels and you don't i i i there's not many in life, you don't really come across someone who is like the Silver Surfer very often, but there are people like that in their personality and like what they do. And there's something almost innate about that type of person because you can almost sense like an aura about them of goodness. And there's that in the Silver Surfer. And for him his life was always complicated because he had to he had to commit so many atrocities for his people and he found redemption on earth and that relationship because of that symbiot that symbiotic relationship of silver surface redemption becoming a the angel that he is and him trying to make the world the planet earth a better place in that example is really a fascinating one you don't really see something like that in comics because superman is inherently a good person and he's always been a good person he's always been a messiah a, a, a messianic figure um this whole thing made this me... is... good oh, i'm sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i, this... I was gonna say <laughs> go ahead finish your thought i'm sorry yeah bro. no worries buddy this whole thing made me really emotional uh reading it a second time uh and just the prose by JMS is just so beautiful, so well written. Uh, it's, there's a reason why it, 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 I think it's it might be the it's one of my favorite Marvel stories at the very least. It might be my favorite. If I could, I, I did want to say that this story actually underscores why it's so frustrating when comic books play games with death. Yeah. Yep. Because Silver Surfer's death here, this isn't canon, I don't believe. No, no, it's a standalone. Right. If this were to be canon, I mean, there are very few deaths that have ever happened that are better than this. And what a great send-off 
for a phenomenal character like him. And and that can be something that sticks with everyone in, in, in Marvel for all time, you know? And you don't need to bring him back. But obviously they don't choose to do things like that. Yeah, yeah and, and I, I agree with you. I think, like, when what Phil was saying um, when I so rudely interrupted him uh, was that I, I, a story like this couldn't happen outside of Marvel Knights or something like this because you need the freedom to be able to... Like, like the Silver Surfer says when Galactus is trying to save him, right? He's like, like all things need to end. Like, all all stories have their end. All beings have their end. And, you know, I think the fact that not only do comic books, like, fuck around and play coy with death, they've done it so much for so long that it's, it's utterly meaningless if it happens in in continuity. And that sucks because it, it wasn't always that way. And, you know... It's what we talk about with, like, the whole corporate comics of it, where there is, like, a mandate and there is merchandise to sell and movies to make and all this shit. And it's a bummer. But for me, as long as we get imprints like this, as long as we get stories like this that let us have, you know, let them have their cake and eat it, too, and let us get stories like this, like, I'm cool with that. I just want more of shit like this. And it sucks because it doesn't always sell. But I bet this book would have sold a lot better now than it did in 2007. Hopefully. We'll never know. I'd like to think. What do you guys, how, or rather, how did you guys enjoy Isad Radik's art in this book? Uh, unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Um, that whole painting, like, watercolor style is something that, like, I think can be really hit or miss. Like, if you're really good at it, it's fucking breathtaking and awesome. And if it's not, it's hard to follow and it, like, feels like it's not a good fit for the medium. And I don't think there's one page in this book that doesn't work. There wasn't one of those big mind-bending space scenes where I couldn't tell what was happening or I was lost in the figures. Like, there's blood, sweat, and tears put on every page of this thing. I've I've been a fan of his ever since the very first time that I saw his artwork. Uh, Assad is one of those artists that I think of as this is this is what comic books look like. Yeah. Um, breathtaking i think he is absolutely brilliant he is a genius when it comes to art and there i don't know that there are a ton of other artists that i would say i want to see their pen on this book because he brings like an ethereal quality to it um and a, a a real world scale while at the same time being able to play well with the stuff that's unreal and depicting it all in a way that feels um, uh, logically presentable. You know, like it, it all makes sense when you see it. And I'm sure that's not easy to do. I love the way he showcased the Fantastic Four. They looked so awesome. His um, Ben is so good. Yeah, his Ben is, is fantastic. Um, his Spider-Man, oh man, so good. The only thing I didn't like was the black eyes. I thought that was so cool though. Like it's it's different. It's obviously like... But, like, because it was nighttime and everything, like, I got the sense that they were – it was the reflection, you know? So, like, I got the sense that they were lenses and they weren't brightened up because, like, so much of it took place at night. Like, when he first meets up with him, I feel like it's, like, dusk time. Hmm. Uh, I felt like it was – But it, it worked for me. I thought it was cool. But in, in any event, um, I, I really loved everything about the way that he presented this story. And um, I don't think they could have picked a better artist. It, I, he gets like he gets the visual language thing down so well. Like I brought that up about 
um, specifically Spider-Man in a, in a few like conversations, but like just the way he nails the poses and like the way that you think, like when you think of Spider-Man, he moves a certain way, you know? And like there, there's that, the fact that it's so realistic but also, like, plays with all of those comics elements, like, right. Like, the first time you see him, like, when Sp- Spidey asks why he doesn't use a ship, and it's, like, him just going through the cosmos and, like, cutting through everything. Like, there's just so many good moments like that that are simple, like, poses you've seen a million fucking times before, but they feel fresh. You know, like, there's the moment where Surfer is, like, flying away, and Spidey, like, swings around, like, a pole to try and chase him, and it just it just looks so, like fluid and like like almost like ballet you know like ah, he's just an incredible fucking talent there's something mythological about this story in the from the watcher being the narrator to the very death of the silver surfer becoming a star in 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 greek times constellations were often of great heroes of greek times and silver surfer is a modern iteration of something like that someone that truly is a larger than life who lived a really significant life and this art really reflects that because it feels like you're being presented a tale of someone from a from a myth but he was real and that's what i really like about it it's just beautiful um i agree with you sean i don't really think there's any other art that would have been befitting of this book it it, it was a it was a match made in heaven for this for issues uh, you guys have any final thoughts on this? This book's absolute must read. It's 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 really I can't believe how good it is. I really can't. Like I know, like Sean said, like he's heard people talk about it all the time. Like I've never like I knew this book existed because I was familiar with the Marvel Knights imprint, but I'd never heard fanfare around it. And I don't understand. I mean, I obviously didn't sell well, but like the fact that this isn't like thought of as like an overlooked gem, like really doesn't make sense to me. Like this is one of the best superhero books I've ever read. I agree with you. I think it's one of the best Marvel books written. It reminds me of something like Magneto Testament, you know, where it's like, what a definitive statement about this character. Yeah. um, This is absolutely the definitive statement on Silver Surfer, as far as I'm concerned. And I do love things like this. Um, it's it's brilliant i think that this is something that you know we we always talk about like would you recommend it and hopefully you don't mm-hmm. mind phil but uh, i mean it's pretty that's clear. where i was going next <laughs> yeah the, the answer is yes i think yes. that whether you like comics for superheroes or you like comics for whatever i think this is a story that you can read and enjoy and get a lot out of because it is a uh it's a story that like works better if you know Silver Surfer, his relationship to all these characters, blah, blah, blah. But I think JMS does a good enough job of giving you the core details so you're not lost and presenting them in such a way that they feel like they matter. It's not like glossed over. It's given weight, but it doesn't take over the story. Um, You know, like his sequences with Galactus and stuff from the past, they're there, they matter, they're important, but they're not the whole story. And I don't think that uh, we get a lot of books this good too often yeah and pete alluded to this at the beginning of this this review but i let my roommate read it and she has no no interest in marvel dc comics whatsoever it's not her thing she's read some image stuff but she's turned off by the whole superhero thing and really liked this book um 
without having any kind of familiar relationship with any of the characters in it. Um, so I, I think that really resonates with the fact that JMS does a really good job of making this book feel familiar with characters that you might not even be familiar with. Um, all in all, I would definitely recommend it to anyone. Uh, I, 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 it, I think you're right. This is the definition, the, the definitive statement on the character. And I'm really glad that you guys took the time to read it with me. I'm really glad you recommended us read it. Yeah, I don't know that I ever would have otherwise. So I'm really glad that we, we did this one. Yeah, and Kayla and Marco, you guys are nerds for not being here, frankly. You guys fucked up. <laughs> uh, well, that wraps this book club up. That's been another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club. Be sure to check out our other book clubs, uh, such as the ones I mentioned before. We just most recently did Howard the Duck. Uh, we did Infinity by Jonathan Hickman. There's a whole bunch of them, and they're really good. You should really give them all a chance with a myriad of different hosts from our show. And as always, make sure you check out our you know, primary podcast, The Comics Pals, wherever your podcasts are sold. And uh, make sure you check out all our social media and YouTube stuff and subscribe to us. And with that, I'm Phil with the Comic Spells, and I'm um, surfing away. Take care, guys. <laughs>